0: Well, it seems like he was not gone for very long, but Jim Shooter's back. He was
2: gone for longer than we might have thought.
0: Well, I guess when you're going every other month and doing two episodes or two issues and doing two issues per episode, I think uh, you do catch up a couple of years do fly by very quickly.
2: Plus, it was the 70s. Things were different then.
1: Superboy number 204, Vengeance of the Supervillains. Published April 1975. Written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. A new legion of supervillains arises. And it's more deadly than ever
0: before. Vengeance of the Supervillains. Kerry Bates Mike Grell story.
2: Vengeance of the Villains.
0: Uh, I don't know why. Who is that? Chemical King? Why he looks like Dracula in that first page or maybe that's radiation roy
2: that's radiation roy radiation roy looks like dracula because when you wear a green and purple suit with flowers for collars you've got to be as intimidating as you can
0: so we get the super villains returning the legion of super uh, villains returning yes uh these are all like older versions of the current you know some of them are older brothers uh some of them are i don't know future versions of themselves
2: Uh, Sort of, yeah. Um, This Legion... Well, this is the thing. (sighs) Go with it. It's fine. Uh, Yes, Lightning Lord Mech is back, and then a couple of Legion rejects in Spider Girl and Radiation Roy. mm -hmm. Of course, Nemesis Kid, who joined the team and later was ejected. And then, this is interesting, Sun Emperor and Chameleon Chief make make their quote-unquote first appearance here, but they actually first appeared 10 years earlier in a story that takes place later in an issue of jimmy Olsen that we didn't cover because it was not a legion centric story superman ended up fighting the legion of supervillains from the future of the adult legion you remember the adult legion from oh, back yeah, in yeah everybody remembers the
0: adult legion sure
2: yeah the adult legion was that uh, well actually that's where all of the legion of superhero uh, legion of supervillains appearances to date have been is the adult Legion of Super-Villains. And in one issue, we saw Lightning Lord and Cosmic King team up with Sun Emperor and Chameleon Chief. This is now 12, 12 years later, their first appearance, chronologically speaking.
0: Yeah, that's just all kind of messed up. I want to know, where's Cosmic King and Saturn Queen?
2: They don't exist yet, because all of the appearances of the LSV with Cosmic King and Saturn Queen are the adult Legion. Hmm. This is actually only the second chronological appearance of the Legion of Supervillains after the first appearance when Tarek the Mute assembled them when they were blackmailing Colossal Boy.
0: Do you remember that? I'm pretty sure that we've seen them multiple times before now.
2: We have, but it's always been a future version of the future to the Legion. Oh, version of the Legion of Supervillains, Tarek the Mutes Legion is chronologically, if you actually put it in time order, the first Legion of Supervillains. So this first Legion of Supervillains is now into its second iteration, adding. So this Nemesis really to isn't. Cumulus this
0: Chief really isn't the official Legion of Supervillains because we all know that these have to be duplicates of the Legion of Superheroes, and we all know the Legion of Superheroes were founded by Saturn Girl. Lightning Lad and Cosmic Boy. So, therefore, the Legion of Supervillains have to be founded by Saturn uh, Queen, Cosmic King, and Lightning Lord. Who's so it's, it's all, it's all, this is this all is, messed up. Way to go, Carrie Bates. Comics. Way to go, Carrie Bates. Way to ruin this... comics for all of us.
2: No, this is how comics get ruined. Tarek the Mute founded the Legion in Adventure 372. Years down the line, like 10 years down the line, the adult Legion of Supervillains came back in time from the future and started messing with the kids because it's easier to beat up on kids. It's like that question. Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 10 duck-sized horses?
0: It's nothing like that, anyway. Yes, it is. Anyway. Would you rather
2: fight your own evil brother or a 12-year-old version of your
0: own evil product. No, it's not the same. It's exactly the it's same. Totally it's totally not the same. Uh, I want to know, who, who is Dr. Larks Kenrick?
2: I believe that's pronounced Henry Kissinger.
0: Is that who it's supposed to be?
2: No, but I think that's kind of what the, the place and time is. Because, because we're looks well
0: past little... Henry Kissinger doing his big stuff. With Nixon is, and stuff.
2: This is 75. I mean, I don't know. It's that far past it. But yeah, it, it's basically uh, somebody who goes around and does, you know, stuff in the future. Well, I His one dedication to the cause of peace.
0: I was just wondering if, if this is supposed to be based on someone real because of the way that he's drawn so different from yeah. everyone else. He looks like, I don't know, he looks like John C. Dvorak, to be honest. <laughs> and and so I didn't know if they were trying to emulate someone important from our time period, because that number one looks nothing like Henry Kissinger, right. um, or, you know, or what the deal was, because it's just really odd how they drew him out. Also, it's really odd that Ma and Paul can't have been de-aged again to 30 somethings.
2: That that actually happens I think we actually discussed it.
0: We discussed when it when it they happened. went from their, you know, like their sixties down to like their forties, but man, they they have been de-aged again to where we're really getting a, a Tom Snyder, uh, not Tom Snyder, Tom Schneider. No. Yeah.
2: A John Schneider?
0: John Schneider. Uh a looking, sexy John
2: Schneider and Annette O'Toole kind yeah, of. Yeah.
0: I mean, on. we really are in, in the way that they're drawn in a couple of these in in these pages. So it's really weird that they keep de-aging Maud Pa Kent it's going to be weird when Superboy wakes up one day and Ma is the same age that he is.
2: Well, fortunately, Ma tends to die a lot, so the odds of her waking up younger than him before she dies are relatively low.
0: I don't know. It's just kind of weird and creepy. Also, uh, why uh, Mon-El has come back for vacationing, Mm -hmm. you know, if he can come back from the future to the past, Mm -hmm. Can't he just go visit his own family back on his planet? See, that's a question.
2: And I don't know if there is an answer to that.
0: I mean, his planet hasn't blown up.
2: uh, Daxum? I thought Daxum, yeah, Daxum still exists. Daxum doesn't blow up until Darkseid gets to it, I think. Right,
0: right. So it would make sense that if he's traveling back to the 1950s, shortly Mm -hmm. after he became Superman's older brother, Bob Cobb, That if he's traveling to the past to hang out with Superboy, he must really have some family issues at home that he doesn't want to go and visit Daxam and hang out with his real parents.
2: Well, if you believe the continuity of the Supergirl TV show, his parents are Kevin Sorbo and uh, Lois Lane from uh, the 90s Lewis and Clark show. So maybe that's it. Maybe he just doesn't want to spend time with Kevin Sorbo.
0: I mean, maybe, but uh... disappointed. I think that that was rather rather odd. Uh we also do get to meet Joe Na's parents for the first time. Yes, Krav
2: and Mitra Na. And the irony is um I just literally this week or last week rather read the current Legion iteration circa 2020 of Krav Na. Yeah. Who who is this psychedelic warlord crazy guy? He is the high warlord crab, and here he's basically Ward Cleaver cooking his boy Joe a veggie steak, and it's it's a little cognitive dissonance for me. It is.
0: And hey, remember, kids, it is no longer the 60s, but it is the 70s, and that means never trust your parents. Never trust your parents at all. This is something that even holds true today. Never trust your parents. They're out to get you.
2: Okay, I cannot in good conscience uh, in sure any can. way stamp this assessment. You're the or, guy or that
0: screwed up this. his daughter's uh, understanding of what actually is Carol of the Bells.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, that's a minor thing. That When she grows up, that's going to be a cute ha-ha story.
0: Oh, no, it's going to be, oh, my God, what did your parents do to you kind of story. And then she'll go, look, listen, I understand I'm a little messed up because of my dad, but at least my parents never shot me with a hypno-ray gun and made me fight my make-believe brother from the future. And then everyone will be going, oh, yeah. So apparently the Legion of Supervillains have this weird cockamamie plan where they're going to go kill the greatest diplomat that ever lived. Right. And they're going to do it by taking out the three most powerful members of the Legion of Superheroes. Nudge, right. nudge, wink, wink. Uh, well, by having Ma and Pa they Kent... They
2: all have x-ray vision.
0: Yeah, by having Ma and Pa Kent uh, zap mon and Superboy into fighting each other to the death, or at least mm-hmm. until they hit each other in their glass jaws. And then uh, Mr. and Mrs. Na are going to poison their son and give him the knockout bills. In fact, Ma in one uh, uh, troubling panel says, I gave him a double dose.
2: Yeah, Mana. Ma, yeah, Mana. Mana, Mana. But nonetheless, yes, she gives her son a double dose probably because of his glorious sideburns, uh knowing that he'll need an extra hit to take him down because yeah. he's Ultra Boy.
0: Yeah. Uh then we get back to the uh, Legion of uh, Super-Villains headquarters where they're laying out their plans. And, and you know just people laying are,
2: out, I mean, you
0: know that people are evil when they slouch. People who slouch yes. are evil. That's how you know they're evil. And yeah, we get introduced. Nemesis
2: Kid is just disrespectful to everything, including that chair.
0: Yeah, we get introduced to Chameleon Chief, which should give us an uh, an idea of what's going on, and also Chameleon Kid is there as well. Not right. at the Legion of Supervillains headquarters, but guarding this trophy that is going to be given to uh, Mister Larks Kendrick uh the very next day. Uh, Intergalactic
2: Charles to call. We'll call
0: him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they're guarding this thing because they think that somebody might smuggle a bomb in on this thing. But because none of the Legion of Superheroes have X-ray vision and apparently none of the facilities as you're bringing things in. I mean, look, think about security today. we walk, when we go to an airport, we send all of our baggage through an X-ray machine. We have to walk through a metal detector. And in some cases, depending on who you are you may get pushed over into that uh, uh, low-dose radiation uh, X-ray machine that does a scan of your entire body. You would think a 1,000 years from now, as you're wheeling in something, it would just pass through some kind of security system that would have X-rays, that would have, uh, you know, we have those little wipes that you wipe down to see if there's any explosive material on your body or on your baggage. I think... Legion of superheroes are very, very lax in their security. They like to pretend that they are all high tech and uh and know what's going on and will protect the universe. But their security is, is super, super lax in the future. And that's a shame. Hey, that is really a a bad thing.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I will give them credit for two things. And I think we have to take this into account. Uh security, especially, you know, things like entering public buildings or going into the office or going to the airport is a completely different matter in 2020 than it is in 1975. So I will give them half credit there, but I do agree with you. There should be some sort of system and you could set up a camera and aim it at uh, the cosmic uh, tuning fork that they're going to be giving to Dr. Larks Kendrick, uh, father of Anna Kendrick, by the way, little known fact, but (sighs) I don't know. I I, I have to agree with you that this is a really lack security because all of a sudden the table underneath the thing is like, hi, I'm Chameleon Chief.
0: Yeah, oh, that that podium that they shipped it in on. Yes, they checked the statue, but did they check the table underneath? No, and that's why (laughs) I'm here.
2: (laughs) Interestingly, though, Chameleon Chief, we discover, has not only the ability to change his shape, yes, but to alter the shape of other objects by touching them, which that's weird.
0: That is weird. And I wonder if the question I would have is, is he doing this through an illusion? I mean, if you touch the little uh, stand that is there, would you feel the four feet of the of the stand or would you feel four sides of a box if you touched it? So is it an illusion? Isn't it a projection like what Prince's projector might do? Or is he physically changing the structure of that object? Because that even brings up some weirder uh, connotations and weirder problems uh, down the line.
2: In this case, it is, in fact, according to the DC Wiki and Who's Who in the DC Universe, Molecular reconstruction power. Wow. Okay. Which which does bring up an interesting point. Uh, we asked, where is Cosmic King? Mm-hmm. You don't need him. Cosmic King's power is the same power that Chameleon Boy has here, or Chameleon Chief rather, has as an afterthought, uh, which I think is fascinating. But then again, Chameleon Chief, even by the standards of the Legion of Supervillains, is super minor. Yeah, And I think this may be the most time he spends in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he ever uses his ability to reshape matter again. I think he got a cease and desist from Element Land.
0: That's interesting. Mm -hmm. A couple of episodes ago, I asked where's all the support personnel uh, in the Legion headquarters. And and it is confirmed here that everything is automated. Uh, The sanitation system is all controlled by robots. Uh, yep. Things are, are run on secret, invisible conveyor belts all across the facility. Yep. And that is how Chemical King makes his, or sorry, yeah, the Chemical Chief. Chameleon No, Chief. Chameleon Chief. That's how Chameleon Chief makes his escape from the facility and everybody flies back to the uh, headquarters of the Legion of Supervillains. Meanwhile, Superboy and Mon-El are like, oh my gosh, we've been trapped for hours. If we fly to the future now, we will be late. Again, not how time travel works. You can leave at any time and arrive at any time.
2: I think this is this is telling though. I mean, we've had this argument so many times that it may be that in legion terms that is how time travel works. That the amount of time that you spend in the past is actually expended in the future in order to I mean to that's one return.
0: way to do it. I mean, that's um who I'm trying to think there was a time travel story where it was exactly that way, that if you went back to the past, when you return to the hour hour, past, you have to return an hour hour later. Yeah. And I forget what story that was. Um, I want to
2: say that's a Ray Bradbury, but
0: I'm it it might be, it might be. Uh, But I know that that kind of ploy in time travel has been done before. I just don't remember off the top of my head where that is. I do know that if you ever are flying through a time tunnel, a rainbow-colored time tunnel, you need to be careful because some of those mm-hmm. numbers are going to reach out and grab you. Also, not yeah. how time travel works.
2: Ah, that is exactly how time travel works. You fly through a rainbow tunnel. It's actually made of Fruit Loops, but they're extremely sticky, like a Jolly Rancher. And if you get stuck on the Jolly Rancher, you have to spend literally a day fighting with your fake brother, Bob Cobb, against uh, what essentially is uh, fruit, brute bubblegum.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's quite how it works. Meanwhile uh the the larks kinrick shows up at his ceremony and he's like give me the trophy that's the only reason i'm actually, here
2: i think he's like i would like my trophy now
0: and everyone's like sure okay let's all touch the trophy together and the villains are like yeah or he's gonna blow up right now and then they're shocked shocked i tell you when their bomb doesn't blow up only discover that uh the chameleon chief is actually chameleon boy oh you didn't see yeah. that coming did you also i've got a secret homing a beacon on me. So now everybody's coming in and whap, bap, boom, bow, smash. Also, Starboy is back. And pow, 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 pow. And everyone is taken down. And the end. Just in time for Superboy and Monel to show up.
2: Yep. And say, oh, sorry, we weren't here on time. But I, I have two questions about this issue. Okay. First and foremost, why do we spend... 12 pages talking about the possible assassination of this international or intergalactic diplomat. But literally one page on a battle between the entire legion of supervillains and seven powerful legionnaires.
0: Well, it's really two, because one is they're busting in. The bigger panel is them all flying towards the, the enemy. And then you have a, each of them using their powers to take the other out. Even I so, I will it's, make it's her like, hair so heavy she can't move.
2: <laughs> I've done that actually, it's not fun, but I, I will grant you, as far as Carrie Bates' stories go, this one takes a little longer for you to sit down and think, Well, that didn't make any sense at all because yeah. it's really it it moves, it's quick, it's, yeah, it it's jumping, it's kicking,
0: it does move very quickly. Uh, the remainder and then of this, you ask
2: yourself. Why, if they could immobilize the three most powerful legionnaires, did they just let them go? Why would you, if you were a supervillain, not stick some kryptonite and some lead and some copper in there and poison these boys so that they can't come back and punch you later?
0: Well, because what they want to do is have the biggest diplomat in the in the galaxy to be killed, so that it does point out how bad the Legion is. So that they're, it's not that they're that they let somebody die; it's the shame. That comes from knowing that they weren't good enough. And that is why you want to keep them alive so that they too can feel shame. Because as we all know, all throughout time and all since we've been doing this show, shame is the leading uh, <laughs> way that teenagers feel not part of society I is see. through being shamed.
2: Yeah, I don't, uh, okay.
0: The rest of this issue has some old stories in them. Uh, there's yep. Lana Lana's detection kit that features yep. an appearance by a uh, Chameleon Boy, and then there is one that I don't remember. I'm I know we've read it, uh, mm-hmm. the Evil Hand of the Luck Lords. I remember the Luck Lords, but there are pages in here that I don't remember from that original story that we <laughs> read.
2: See, and that's the interesting part about reading these. Especially, we're not reading these in you know big clumps necessarily we're reading them a couple of issues at a time i remember part of the luck lord story i remember yeah we had a big
0: discussion on luck and and the perception of luck and and those kinds of things but there's bits of the story where i'm like i have no idea i do not remember this crazy panel with a chameleon boy with a a, a crystallized prote on him
2: yeah it was way way back in adventure 343 And it actually, uh, as far as I can tell, usually if you have something that changes, Mm -hmm. people make a big deal about it. As far as I can tell, I didn't go back and compare panel for panel. There's no changes in the reprint. Okay. It's just this weird, you know, two-part story where, hey, it's bad luck. Oh, no, what's going to happen? But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't this the one that ended with... Didn't Adventure 344 end with uh, Bouncing Boy getting his powers back again for the 13th time? Because he was one of the unlucky Legionnaires oh, right, who right, lost right. his powers.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I really do not remember this story. Yeah. So it's really weird. I remember the Luck Lords, but not this story. Well, maybe, like maybe, that's, maybe that's for the best. Yeah. <laughs> If you enjoy
1: the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Superboy number 209. Who can save the princess? Published June 1975. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. Can anything save Projectra? From the pain plague?
0: Jim Shooter is back in Superboy 209, and he's telling some Legion of Superheroes tales. Yep, And it's amazing because the last time we talked about Shooter, which for me feels like less than six months ago, but for most of us, and maybe maybe it's been over six months or a year that you've, uh, when we talked about Shooter exiting and all the things that he went through uh, at his time as a writer for DC, what did Jim do when he left? DC, he just kind of went off and did nothing, right? I mean, he was working at a service station or something.
2: He essentially retired from comics for a while, which is really kind of interesting because he started writing when he was 13 and retired when he was 18. I believe when he initially left DC, he went to Marvel Mm. briefly and Mm -hmm. was at Marvel in the production department. But yeah, uh, he graduated high school in like 68 or 69. And then he went to work at Marvel briefly, and I think he retired from comics because he was at uh, he was in college, mm-hmm. and he was still doing some stuff. But I think he completely disappeared by seventy one or seventy two, and then came back to comics uh, thanks to the editors of the Legion Outpost fanzine. They actually contacted him for an interview in 74, 75 and talked him into pitching DC on working for them again. Mm-hmm. And so he actually came out of rest- came out of retirement to write the Legion again.
0: Yeah, this is uh Mike Flynn and Harry uh Brortes or Borhees?
2: I think Broches or Bruch I, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it.
0: But. Yeah. B R O E R T J E S. Yep. And so that's kind of cool that these two kids would uh, go out and say, "Hey, we love Legion." Have you ever thought about getting back into it and Shooter, after they leave, is just scratching his chin and winks at the audience and says, "Hmm, maybe, kids, maybe. Maybe. And so now, do we know anything about uh, how easy it was for him to come back to D.C. if they were welcoming him him with open arms? I know we've had uh, some of the people that chased him out are not part of the company anymore. But do we know that people were just like, oh, my gosh, Jim Shooter. Yeah, we want you back. Or was it like, yeah, sure, kid, you can you can write some more Legion stuff.
2: Well, I believe if I'm not mistaken, he actually applied to both Marvel and DC. Ah, okay. And DC said, hey, you can write Superman. Hey, you can write Legion. And he literally went there. Uh, from what I understand, he had previously, when he initially started working, he was working under Mort Weisinger. Uh-huh. We talked about Weisinger and Weisinger's retirement. Apparently, working with Murray Boltenoff was not as positive for him as it was working for Mort Weisinger. So this second shooter era has some stuff coming up. That's some stuff and some stuff that we'll get to when we get to it. But apparently he had that same problem with his Superman editor because he was working under Julie Schwartz. Mm, mm-hmm. So it was one of those things where they gave him, a, you know, he had what he felt like it was a better opportunity to come work at DC and ended up working for two guys that he didn't really get along with.
0: Yeah, that's too bad. Yep. So anyway, in this story, Princess mm-hmm. Projectora's uh, ship has crashed or is coming down really hard, and mm-hmm. it's up to the incredible strength of Timberwolf to throw a lasso around a giant spaceship and keep it from crashing?
2: Yep. That is the power of Timberwolf, my friend, the power of the wolf.
0: I mean, I've seen some wolves do some pretty amazing things, like wolf power. Totally bring back the the uh the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park. But I don't think I've ever seen a wolf, whether one from the mountains or one from the the woods take a big old lasso as a plane is crashing and then lasso the ship and save it. And then in the very next panel, panel utter the phrase, I guess even a princess is still a woman driver. Oh,
2: Oh, that, that feels so out of pl- That feels out of place for 1975.
0: But- eh, I don't know because I know in 75, even into the early to mid eighties, the bad woman driver stuff was still very much a, a trope still very much a joke and still very much something that was said a lot. Okay. So I can see that still being a thing, but man, that is something that is not appropriate uh, to say. And then credit kid is just looking at Timberwolf like, yeah, bro, I feel you. Even though she's my woman, I'm not going to say anything except I, and then he goes and they're like, Oh, <laughs> princess projector. What has happened to you? And she's like, I'm tired. And then she falls asleep.
2: She collapses she's oh and she falls and she nearly dies and karate kid catches her
0: now does she have the romulan fever still
2: is she this does an not after effect the of the
0: romulan fever
2: no it was rigel fever
0: oh rigel fever that's right
2: she got rigel fever she got rigel fever. anyway no this is a different fever projectra coming from a very backwards planet did not get uh the proper vaccinations as a child And so is extremely susceptible to infection.
0: And so uh, what has happened is she has caught this. It's called, what is it called? The pain? The
2: pain 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 plague.
0: Which is super crazy.
2: It sounds like a black metal song, you know? You'd be like, pain
1: plague, pain plague.
0: It turns out that while the fever isn't going to kill you, the absolute pain that you receive from this Mm -hmm. probably will. And it sounds like a a form of a meningitis or a, um, a, a shingles, you know, where the pain is so intense you just can't deal with it anymore. And so what it is, it's the pain that will kill you, not the actual fever or the infection. Uh, so they rig up this, this system that they will transfer the pain from Princess Projectra into their own bodies for one hour. If they can yep. get her through the next six hours, she will survive. But the pain is going to be So out of control. And so speaking of out of control, Timberwolf is like, I'll do this. And then he goes all Wolverine on the uh, on the room, just tearing things out with his claws and saying bubble lot and ripping off the clothes of a karate kid, which becomes somewhat interesting when they wrestle each other down onto the ground. (laughs) And then they have to lock him up in an inertron jail. And so uh, he passed his hour, but he went a little berserk. And so now Karate Kid, because his uniform's all torn up, he's got to put on a new uniform or really his new old uniform.
2: Yeah, his uniform from uh, issue 193 that he wore for
0: a minute and a half. Which it looks pretty cool, honestly.
2: it's, It's a great uniform. It is. And for all the complaints about why would a martial artist have a high collar? It's such a great look that I just, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> I don't I, I don't care it's the 30th century if you look that fly you can have all the high collars you want
0: yeah so uh, actually it's going to be Saturn girl who's going to go next and so mm-hmm. they put her in some kind of weird bondage outfit so that well, she doesn't they have go to crazy keep her
2: from yeah they have to keep her from projecting her powers and she points out that she could send Karate Kid out on a destructive rampage or order him to kill her and, you know, with his mighty super karate powers, which uh, Shooter's back, so these are the most powerful powers in the Legion, by the oh,
0: way. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll see.
2: His mighty super karate powers could kill her, so she has to be in a bug-eyed bondage suit that she just happened to have lying around, I guess?
0: I mean, it's sensory deprivation plus chains, and then this way she's going to be able to take on uh, the power completely, and... Yeah. Yeah.
2: What she and Garth are up to in their own spare time is none of our business. It's really weird. I mean, it's just
0: really weird. Uh, Meanwhile, Superboy is flying from the vast reaches of space, trying to save. (laughs) He's like, I can take care of it. If only I could fly just a little bit faster. Oh, darn, these Silver Age powers.
2: (laughs) From planet Fangmar to Earth, though. I mean, that's that's a good 12-page flight, and he made it in only four pages.
0: Yeah, but uh, before Karate Kid can take on the uh his turn to do it a mysterious figure shows up and takes over the last hour of power and then before that person can go crazy we find out oh wait it's not one person it's two people
2: it's one person who is two people it's duo damsel returning from her honeymoon
0: making her surprise return what this is almost what 6 months to a year after
2: the uh, uh she got married in 200 and i think we're we're on monthly No, we're still bimonthly,
0: bimonthly so this is over a year.
2: Yeah, so it's been more than a year since she left and went. This issue does establish that she and Bouncing Boy did not leave the team, but are on reserve status. Yeah. And the maximum emergency call brought her back. Yeah. So that she could save the day.
0: And the way she did it is, instead of the pain being taken on by one person, the pain is divided in two because there are two of them.
2: Yep. Shared pain is pain halved. Yeah. And then
0: like at that. the end, Princess Projectra wakes up. I'm really, you know, I'm I'm kind of disturbed that every time we see Princess Projectra, she is suffering from some delusion or some fever or some something that is causing her to be passed out, knocked out, not in her right mind. Yeah, And that that's just really weird that she becomes the, oh, who do we need to make sick this week? What's Princess yeah. Projector doing? Let's make her do it. Is really weird and I'm not sure it's, I understand the thinking process I mean this is like the third issue or something where she's uh, been this way
2: right but this is a new writer so
0: yeah I know but it's just really weird that it seems to be this is the go-to the go-to person for all of our ales why couldn't they have yeah. made it someone else why couldn't they have made it uh starboy why couldn't it have been starboy why could it not have been um chameleon boy why couldn't it not have been? You know, matter eater lad. It could have been any one of those people. For
2: for the structure of the story, it did kind of require that the person uh, afflicted have a legionnaire partner. So, yeah, it could have been Ultra Boy and had Phantom Girl in this position. Mm -hmm. It could have been a lot of things. But remember, this is Shooter and Shooter created Karate Kid, loves Karate Kid. I believe that this issue was actually created as a, a, a showcase for Val, the Karate Kid, he's going to get a lot of uh, leg time, screen time, whatever you call it. Val's going to get a lot of screen time in the new shooter era.
0: Oh, yeah, no no doubt about it. But, I mean, he doesn't really do anything here. He's kind of shoved out of the way. and um...
2: He took his shift, and then he sat there, and he, he took away his power. But Superboy's uh, invulnerability made it impossible for him to take a shift on the pain plague. Yeah. He couldn't do it.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that was that story.
2: Now we transition.
1: Hero for a day. Published June 1975. Written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. The Legion's greatest fan is forced to save the team he loves if he can.
0: Now let's talk about Mary Sue. Mary Sue is a phrase that we hear uh so often today from people that want to uh, put down uh, especially women in comics and by always saying oh you're just a Mary Sue wanting to do these wish fulfillment things of working in comics etc 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 but Mary Sue actually has a kind of a history in Star Trek in that a Mary Sue is essentially an idealized and perfect fictional character Uh, in 1973 Paula Smith created this character called Mary Sue for some uh, Star Trek fan fiction and basically what happens is Mary Sue who nobody's ever heard before is the averagest uh, person that you could ever meet she comes in and saves the day again and again and again and again and nobody not even Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock or Dr. McCoy can believe how wonderful Mary Sue is. Now, I don't know if and so that's where we get this idea of Mary Sue, someone who is so perfect, who solves all the problems that your heroes can't. uh, And so that's just kind of uh, flowed from there. Now, I don't remember if Paula Smith, when she wrote this in 73, actually was trying to make fun of this wish fulfillment type character or not, or if she was really treating it seriously. And then everyone else was like, oh, my gosh, how ridiculous is this? And the Mary Sue became kind of a joke character.
2: I believe that she intended it as satire of fan fiction stories ah, okay. Star Trek fan fiction specifically and she was created as a parody but you know it's it's something that you do run into you do run into authors who do especially self insert but you know special character inserts or original characters oc mm-hmm. do not steal
0: so who
2: take over the world and we see it In actual fiction, I mean, if you look at, like, the last seasons of X-Files, when Mulder disappears, we have this new character who's the best and the greatest at everything. Does that count as a Mary Sue or not? It's hard to
0: Uh, say. What is the guy version of the Mary Sue? Oh, the Gary Gary Sue or the Larry Stew. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Here we definitely have, in this second story, Hero for a Day, we definitely have a Larry Stew in the form of Flint Broge. Hey, Broge. Mm -hmm. And uh, Flint Broge is this teenager, younger guy. He must probably be, I would say, maybe an eighth grader or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way he's drawn is not very masculine. Um, Eh, He's kind of schlubby and kind of nerdy and and these kinds of things. And And has has... what
2: I believe are the first glasses that we've seen in
0: Legion Lord. Oh, yeah, you would think in the future they'd be able to correct everyone's vision. That's weird. right? But anyway, he has won like Legion for a day, guest for the day kind of thing. And as we're talking about, um, you know, Jim Shooter. Now, this is not a Jim Shooter story. This is a Carrie Bates story. But mm-hmm. Jim Shooter is being back, and as we mentioned a little bit ago, he was brought back into the fold thanks to Mike Flynn and Harry Broges, or whatever, um, mm-hmm. or Mike. Yeah, Mike Flynn and Harry Broges. So Flint Broge is an homage to these two guys, right? Yep,
2: he is specifically designed to homage them. Now. Uh, given the way he's drawn i'm not entirely sure if that's flattering
0: yeah i don't know but, either i it, it, i mean he's just a i mean he's a dweeby I, character right
2: he is he's he's a fanboy he's the yeah. stereotypical you know slightly overweight pencil-necked glasses-wearing fanboy you know, you you. They I mean, didn't quite go so, to the point of having him be, you know, foul-smelling or anything. But there's no, definitely but I mean,
0: he is he like is him. so uh, against the norm of what you might expect from the masculine figure of a male member of the Legion of Superheroes that the Legion Flight Ring won't even stay on his finger. Uh ah, that's a big <laughs> that's a big uh, clue right plot there. Point. Yeah, yeah, plot yeah. Point. And so he's getting the the tour, the general tour, until some radioactive uh, werewolf shows up.
2: Right. Radioactive witch wolf.
0: Witch wolf. That That wolf? wolf? (laughs) Right
2: there. In the box in the Legion's mailroom. And we do get... Again,
0: they try to blame the Postal Service, but really, if their own security (laughs) was just working in this facility, they would know, hey, there's a werewitch right there in that box.
2: Interestingly, though, we get like half a page of Sunboy explaining how fan mail to the Legion works. Yeah. And I'm like, whose job is it to read these things?
0: Carrie, you know? Carrie Bates or whoever's is the editor at the whoever's doing the letters column in this issue. That's ha- who has to read them.
2: They refer to it as the Federal Postal Service, which is weird because I think Earth has just the EarthGov would well, that still be considered No federal?
0: because in the previous issue in 208, they are signing the United Federations of Planets declaration that's what uh, that's what uh, uh Lark's Kinrick was doing was right. creating the United Federation of Planets uh, it was only 12 planets in size but he was oh, creating shit. the I think it's just called the United Federation or something like that but it's it sounds still so star trekky that you can't ignore it <laughs> But this uh, this crazy werewitch, witch wolf, that wolf, the it has some kind of radiation. Yep, that's going to kill you. Kill
2: them all, and apparently the radiation metropolis and kill everyone.
0: Yes. How does this creature? How does this creature exist on its own planet unless everything on that planet is radioactive? Because. Um. If it's going to contaminate,
2: it has 12 foot long fangs.
0: Yeah, I don't know. This is all kinds of crazy. And, you know, Cosmic Boy goes in and says, I will solve this problem with magnets. And of course, that backfires and and doesn't work because apparently the the witch wolf is all kinds of I will reverse your your powers on you. Even mm-hmm. even um, who else tries to go in um, wildfire energy. Yes, his his anti-energy doesn't work. It just turns to regular energy. Shrinking Violet goes in, and she thinks she's going to be able to do it. But she just grows in size until she bumps her head. And then it's only before Saturn Girl says she's going to go in and do it, which you'd think that if, you know, she has mental power, she doesn't actually have to go into the room. But good old Larry Stu goes rushing in and says, No, you guys, look, it's all an illusion. I figured it out, and you guys didn't turns out that because his ring didn't fit on his finger it fell off and whoever was trying to target the legionnaires was targeting them through their flight rings
2: which is really pretty ingenious i mean
0: it I mean, is but it's kind of a far stretch for I don't the story know. We never find out who it is. I feel like that's
2: the cleverest part of the story. No. And it's a Carrie Bates story because so not only do we not find out, nobody cares once it's done. (laughs) We just move on. Somebody literally tried to murder the Legion and everyone in Metropolis. But we're not going to follow up on that because we've got to take Flint on, you know, another tour and maybe he's going to get kissed by some girl Legionnaires.
0: Yeah, I don't. Again, there's some awkward panels in this issue because the very last panel, uh, Sun Boy is saying, but for now, we still have an honored guest to entertain. If it weren't for him, we'd all have been out of luck. And then Cosmic Boy is like, hmm, looks like young Flint's luck is just beginning. At the meantime, Shrinking Violet and uh, Saturn Girl are giving him smooches on the cheek, which I don't know what the implication is of that. What it smooches.
2: It's, is it's, it just smooches?
0: I mean, it's just the beginning.
2: It's the Legion. It's smoochies.
0: I think it's probably supposed to imply more than smoochies. I think it's supposed to imply more than smoochies.
2: Well, that's because you are an evil perv in the 21st century. And this is a comic from 1975. In
0: 1975, I would have thought that exact same thing.
2: Well, sure, but you were an evil perv in the 20th century, too. So Now, I think that there's definitely, you could take that implication if you wanted. But what it really comes down to, once again, is the female legionnaire who bumped her head to knock herself out is now here to kiss the cute boy and make him feel better.
0: Uh, Cute boy. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Whatever. Anything, anything else from this issue that stands out because there really wasn't overall, these are just a couple of okay stories. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. good to see Jim shooter come back. I don't know if, do we know if Jim shooter in the first story uh, who can save the princess, is he still doing his own layouts and then grill is on top of that or not?
2: No. Uh, Grell, I believe, is doing all of the art. Um, And the reason that I knew about Shooter's layouts was because if you actually go through the Legion Archive books, Mm -hmm. they'll actually credit things, and they are no longer crediting uh, Shooter for layouts in this second run. So, Okay. um, What's interesting to me about this issue is not necessarily... I felt like the Shooter story was solid. I felt like it was a really good... Story, and I felt like Carrie's was just kind of okay, but they really don't match. You have this, you get 10, 12 pages of this high stakes, someone could die Legion action. And yeah, there's some melodrama in there, and it's 1975, and we don't think anybody's going to actually die, but they just killed Invisible Kid three issues ago, so they could. And then we cut to this weird comedy story. With this character who is literally drawn like a Bigfoot cartoon character, <laughs> you know it's it's a very it's a very bad match. The two stories don't feel like they go together. And again, I have to say that uh, Flynn and Birchies, whoever they are, wherever they are, I, I don't know if this kid was if he was made to honor you and I. If I'd be flattered, you know, if his name if his name was Pete Schleich, yeah. And he looked and acted like that. I don't don't know. know.
0: I just, I was a little disappointed. I mean, you know, the sidekick character going all the way back to Robin was created so that the reader would have somebody to identify with, right? Uh, So that they could be living these adventures, not as Batman or not as Superman or not as Green Arrow or not as Flash, but as Kid Flash and Robin and Speedy um, and Superboy and... I think those are fine, and even I think that if the point is to, in this case of the story, if the point is to honor these two guys for bringing Shooter back, that's fine too. And I almost, I also think that there is nothing inherently wrong with a Mary Sue or a, you know, a, a Larry Stew, providing that everyone's kind of in on the joke. Uh, I think it becomes problematic when people take that too seriously. And this is 1975. This is a couple of years after the Mary Sue had been invented. I think everyone here, including the two guys, Mike and, and Harry, I think they're all kind of in on it. And so I think in this case it kind of works out okay. Um it's yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm not happy with the story but i think the the idea of the of the mary sue in fiction is fine if everybody is is aware and paying attention
2: yeah and i feel like part of the problem at least in the modern parlance when it comes to your mary sue is that people use it to kind of disavow or attack characters that they don't like or that they don't you know want to actually invest themselves in.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: You know, you there's the, the high profile example of a recent, very, very high profile science fiction movie where the first one came out and they're like, this character is a Mary Sue. And then the second one came out and the same people are arguing that a second character, a completely different character is also a Mary Sue. And it really comes to a point where it feels like the people who are saying this are actually telling on themselves, you know, you are looking at something and rather than try and invest yourself into the story, you're using, well, this is a Mary Sue or an over idealized or I keep seeing overpowered character. Yeah. And I don't understand in a in a medium that springs from Superman, how anyone can complain that someone is overpowered. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's I mean, all that's what the
0: Silver Age is. It's all about. Right. But Um, this is
2: the Legion of Superheroes. We've got three Superboys. We've got Superboy and Superboy's big brother and Superboy's weird friend from the other side of the tracks. And And,
0: don't forget Supergirl.
2: Right. And they're all Superboy. And essentially, you know, everyone in the Legion, Wildfire is a walking nuclear reactor. Mm -hmm. Saturn Girl can rewrite your brain. Matter Eater Lad is also a Legionnaire. You know, everyone here is ridiculously powerful, and then you have to write the story with them. If your complaint is that someone is overpowered or someone is overly qualified or someone is too good, it may not necessarily be the fault of the story. It may be a fault of the reader.
0: I mean, now, I could, I mean it potentially could be, and especially in, it, when, when we talk about what Mary Sue has become as just an excuse for, again, a lot of comics gator-type people – to use to throw a female character uh, under the bus or to discredit or to um, dismiss a female superhero or just any female uh, character or creator in comics um, really doesn't sit well with me. And I think it is more of a reflection on the people that uh, are yelling the most. Right. He doth protest too much type things. Um, but but here I think this is just kind of harmless fun where it's just like, yeah, man, we want to do this. We want to honor this. And we do see real life uh, kids make appearances in comics uh, over the years as ways to um, give them a, an award and a prize for something that they've done. You know, like well, you can appear in the next Spider-Man comic or it could be as an abject lesson in the case a few years ago where a little boy didn't want to wear his hearing aid. So the mom wrote to Marvel and said, hey, is there something you could do? He really likes Marvel. And they're like, yeah, Hawkeye has a hearing aid problem. Let's put this kid into a comic. And it wasn't just a comic for the kid. It was released uh, talking about why the hearing aid is important and how it's helped Hawkeye and all these kinds of things. So I think that you can put those types of characters into comics and have some good appeal to it, or uh, you could do it to honor people, or you could just do it to have fun. But I think just calling every character a Mary Sue is um not right <laughs> but in this case in this case uh, our, our main character is definitely a gary stew we have reached the end of another legion clubhouse matthew what have we learned this week
2: we've learned that maximum emergency call will only bring in one person and she's half retired
0: and i think we also learned that time travel can work any way that you want it to work because nobody cares
2: Also, it's fictional, and time travel doesn't really exist. We also learned that if you see Chemical King, write it down, because it's probably going to be another 20 issues before you see him again.
0: Thank you so much for joining us this week on The Legion Clubhouse. We certainly enjoy having you here as one of our many, 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 many listeners. Head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us some uh, positive reviews. You can drop us an email, podcast at majorspoilers.com. And until next time, I'm Max Kingman, the Kingman.
1: And I'm Goodnight John Boy. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Stephen Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Stephen at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa.
0: This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.
1: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.